Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everybody, Double G here for Fight Game Media, bringing you a free podcast to this feed, which is a podcast I recorded a couple of weeks ago with a couple of my favorite podcasters who don't do podcasts on Fight Game Media. Those two are Kyle Ross, aka The Boss, who previously had done stuff with Top Rope Nation, Ryan Drosty's crew. And also uh, Liam O'Rourke, who famously wrote the Brian Pillman book, Crazy Like a Fox. They do a WWE podcast, Historic Deep Dive, which they started during the pandemic covering 1990. And then they went through 91, and then they went through 92, and they are currently on 1993, the Squared Circle Gazette Radio And so I brought them on to talk about their podcast because in this game, it's very hard to get the word out about things that you're doing. I think they do a really good job. So I just wanted to highlight the show that they do and uh, give them a little bit of uh, publicity because I think they do really good work. So if you are a fan of historic WWF from the 90s, I think you'll enjoy the conversation Uh, And uh, hopefully you will check their podcast out. I have the link to that show in the show notes. And uh, only other thing I wanted to mention here, obviously the Patreon, patreon.com front slash fight game media. We had our very first happy hour for the $10 tier. Uh, Had our our guy, Brad, a.k.a. the big, wait, I'm trying to, let let me get his Twitter name correct. The Big Beard Booty Daddy, I believe, is the Twitter handle. He's our guy. He's uh, great. He's awesome in the Discord as well. And uh, our, 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 other, uh, our other subscriber uh, in that tier, Miguel, who is the brother of, if you listen to the Fight Game podcast, every time John LaRocca says the heartbreak kid, David Rubio, the brother of David Rubio, Miguel Rubio, who's awesome. And uh, so a couple of our $10, $10 tier folks joined a few of us, and we just did a, a little hangout. We just talked wrestling. We talked family. We just talked about a bunch of stuff. So that was fun. And uh, you can be a part of the next one if you are in that tier as well. Uh, so the only other thing I wanted to mention is that as we look towards 2024, John LaRock and I have decided to stop doing the historic uh the, the history shows. We started with 1997 Raw, then we did 98 Raw. Now we're currently in 96 WCW, and this has been just a blast going through all those old shows. And we're going to put a pause on that, and we're going to do a monthly movie review of all wrestling movies. And I think we're going to kick the thing off with the review of the new movie Iron Claw that's coming out at the end of the year about the Von Erichs. And so we're going to start there, and we're just going to go through some of the more famous and infamous, in some ways, 
Ready to Rumble, for example. No Holds Barred, for example. We're going to go through the movies and we're going to make it like a, a community thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll do it in the Discord. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on Twitter. But if you want to be a part of the Discord, hit me up, gg at fightgamemedia.com. And we're going to try and get people to watch with us, have a conversation with us. Maybe we'll take some of those uh, quotes and we'll, we'll t- discuss them in our review. Maybe we'll bring some folks on to talk about the, the films. Uh, so that is going to be fun for 2024. And then I'm not going to leave the people out, the history fans. I'm also going to do, at least as of right now, I haven't figured it out 100%, but there's going to be something on 1989 because Dave Meltzer has published all of the wrestling observers from 1989 in a book. And my buddy Draven, who has been on my shows before, he is a a history buff. Uh, He considers himself a wrestling historian. So we're just going to dig through 89. I'm not exactly sure the format or whatever, but that is the goal. So, all right, you heard a lot from me in this intro. You're going to hear more from me uh, as I play the Double G show that I recorded a couple weeks ago with the boss Kyle Ross and Liam O'Rourke and their WWF historical podcast on Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am so happy to welcome Kyle Ross and Liam O'Rourke the co-hosts of one of my favorite deep dive old school podcasts. And I I really just, I want to bring them on just to tell them how much I enjoy their podcast. And (laughs) I kind of want you guys to go through a little bit of the origin of it because I went back and I started with 90 and then I finished 91 and there's something called the pandemic that we all had to deal with that you guys had to deal with in recording the show as well and so it's this, like this interesting like oh yeah like i remember what i was doing then when <laughs> you know you guys are trying to get together and, and record your show but uh liam i know this is kind of uh, your baby so quickly introduce what the podcast is uh, before we kind of get going on it yeah so it's a podcast originally it started uh you know about a decade or so ago now but like originally we there was a group of us who were invo- involved in like the local wrestling scene around here and we just kind of would get together uh, and talk about you know, whether it's current events or deep dive topics on like old subjects but when the pandemic happened and, and we would always record it live which was the key we would be in the same area in the same studio or the same uh you know, in my house and uh and we would record it together when the pandemic happened obviously we're not going to be doing that anytime soon <laughs> and i had started listening to um hardcore history by dan carlin uh, which where he, like on his own, he basically like deep dives into a historical, whether it's a war or whether it's a time and place thing. And so I just got, and he would do like, you know, again, by himself. And I kind of had the idea of just like, because the 1990 observers weren't online on the F4W website, but I had yes. them. And so because I had them, I was like, you know what, this might be a kind of unique idea to be able to like, just do like a single podcast for the people who are like locked at home and I'll have fun doing it. And it'll be a show that I can do. Because the things I didn't really like doing Skype conversations with the guys I did that podcast with, because we got so used to talking 
in person that the, the flow gets completely disrupted when right. you're on Skype or on online. Um, so that was the idea. And I just had a bunch of like, I, I wrote up all the notes and I remember, I think I sent, I must've sent them to Kyle or I asked Kyle a question about the, his view of the time and place in 1990. And as soon as I told Kyle that this is what I was thinking of doing, Kyle was like, if you want a second guy to do this <laughs> with, if you want somebody, I'm up on one for it. And obviously I, I adore Kyle's opinion and, and his work uh, and have done from a podcasting perspective since 2005. Uh, so the chance to do shows with him was obviously heaven sent. And I was going to jump at that at a, at a moment's notice. And, and he's the perfect guy to do it with as well anyway, just because of his experience living through it as a kid, which I didn't have, you know, like I was, I was right. wanting to go through the notes, my opinion, and we kind of had this idea, or at least I did at the time, maybe trying to make something of it, but it was, everybody knows the downfall of the WWF in the 1990s kind of comes in 91 with like the, the series of punches that developed with like the Gulf War angle with Slaughter and then the steroid scandal and Hogan and Arsenio and then the sex scandals and my whole, and, and one thing kind of leads after the previous thing. And so my theory on 1990 that I kind of wanted to get across was like, this is seen as a very boring year. Like really not much happens on screen. That's all that good. And like, it's seen as the year of failure for the warrior. And I kind of wanted to look at that a little bit deeper and my, the, the theory that I wanted to come up with was like, okay, the reason why the media blitz happens is because things get so disastrous in 1991 with the slaughter angle and the media starts attacking. And once, and there's a line that Meltzer has that we read on the show where he basically says the media has figured out that stories on the WWE in a negative light are doing well. They're getting a lot of attention and they're getting a lot, and it's becoming the trendy thing to do. And so when that happens and then the, 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 the ball starts rolling downhill, quite drastically in terms of and, and of course all the scandals were there ready made anyway coming out of the woodwork so my thought at the time was i just wanted to look at 1990 and see how much of 1990s failure led to the desperation of going to slaughter and going with the shock value because it's really and i think that you know this was part of again why it was great to have kyle do it with me was because i wanted to kind of explore the idea that 1990 was the first time vince as a promoter was having to put out fires in terms of his business not being what it once was and look at what happens when vince backpedals and has to act like a territorial promoter in a sense of like okay business is down what do i do because he didn't really have to deal with that that much before things were going pretty well for a consistent period of time sure there were peaks and valleys but this was like 1990 and, and even the end of 89 and that's as i remember we started pretty much just kind of talk about the end of 89 with hogan's run with perfect and then it just snowballed from here and the shows were so enjoyable for me that we've just kept going through 1990 to 91 to 92 and now <laughs> testament to how much fun they are because again doing it on skype it's like it's 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 great i love doing them all right kyle so uh, people know that you've been with the uh, top rope nation for quite a while and you know they hear your voice and see your face with those guys but you had stepped away uh, a lot of it because you're not into the the new stuff anymore and and, and really i we were talking off air like there's a, there's like no time. You literally have to create some sort of efficient process to get through all of the television to have an opinion on what's going on. It's It has never been harder. But you have this idea of something that's right in your wheelhouse. You get to go back and read old observers again, which is always fun. So, like, what, what attracted uh, the project to you? 
Well, first off, Liam sounds very Jerry McDevitt-like there uh, with his uh, attacking the WWE as a cottage industry. I thought he was going to start it all uh, But, no, look, uh, you know, first of all, as far as the current product and stepping away from top rope, she goes, it's a deal where you can only hyper-consume one thing in life. Or, yeah. I mean, maybe you can't. And my job with sports, it became too much to balance the two. But what attracted me to doing this way back, so it was during the pandemic, okay, like we've all established when we first started doing this. And Liam just sends me these notes on 1990, like he said. And I was like, dude, if you ever want to do the podcast on this, it would be a great idea because I wasn't doing anything at the time. Sports right, had stopped right, for right, four months. Right, yeah, exactly. So it made perfect sense. And we started doing it. And like he said, it was great. It just worked so well. And by the time we were done doing three parts in 1990, which was a very easy year to consume, a very easy year to talk about. It's a year not a lot of people have talked about. We were like, that was very fun. Let's just keep going. And I think what attracts me uh, to continue doing it and looking at that period, it's a couple things. One is, and this is not a shot at anyone who covers wrestling on a weekly, daily basis. I'm not trying to kill anyone's <laughs> job here, but <laughs> I prefer much more to evaluate wrestling on a long-term big picture basis Sure, because I'm kind of an egomaniac and I don't like to be wrong. And I think it's easy <laughs> to be wrong when you're evaluating this stuff on a show by show basis, right? Like take the last WrestleMania. Yep. Okay. Everyone's hair was on fire because Cody didn't go over Roman Reigns. Yep. Well, it's what now six months later, who gives a damn that Cody didn't go over Roman Reigns. It doesn't matter. It, it's not, it was completely not a reason to get upset at no. all. Okay, so I think you get there's a better grasp. And this period in particular, like Liam said, I was a kid during this period. So I have my own memories from being a kid. Then you go online like we all did. And you, you know, you start reading things like The Observer, going to yeah. message boards and you sort of develop narratives like when you're, you know, for me, I was a teenager at that time. Well, now I'm very confident, in my opinion, what I believe in. And so it's fun to go back and revisit through like the two different lenses, right? Like as a kid and then sort of as someone who grew to understand different internet narratives about that period. And now I think what Liam and I have really enjoyed doing looking at these several years is, okay, like what is like what narratives are true? What narratives are fiction? And there's lots of narratives that like are well-established that everyone understands. Okay, yeah, this is true, right? Like for instance, 1990. It's a dull year where everyone sort of understands the ultimate warrior was put on top because Hogan had to step away for a little bit. It didn't work. Okay. Everyone gets that, that the ultimate warrior was not going to be the next Hulk Hogan. However, what was interesting and we found, and Liam can pick up on this, is towards the end of 1990, there was reason to believe that maybe it could work. And then one of the more fascinating things was the Royal Rumble 91 buy rate, okay? Yep. It's like huge. And if you watch the TV, that show is totally sold around one thing, Warrior versus Slaughter. <laughs> and then you look at the WrestleMania 7 buy rate of Slaughter as the champion now defending its Hogan. It was terrible. It was a horrible buy rate. So all of a sudden, you're like, well, what a mistake it was <laughs> taking the title off Warrior. And then furthermore, you go into 91 and... They put the title back on Hogan, and it did not become all wine and roses again. Yeah. In fact, Warrior Undertaker at the houses was outdrawing Hogan's slaughter. 
So it's little stuff like that that is really fun to go back and analyze and say, hey, is this narrative true? Is this narrative fit, uh, untrue? And, and we've just kept going. It's really, it, I really enjoy doing that. So as I'm listening to these shows, as I've told you both uh, off air, I'm like asking you guys questions as if you guys can hear me. Because the the conversation is so casual and so friendly. It's just like listening to two dudes, you know, hang out, you know, watching wrestling and, and chatting. And the one I specifically said to Kyle, uh, and this was in like a, a Twitter DM that you answered me like six months later, because you're like, oh, I don't even I don't even check this Twitter account anymore. Yeah. But uh, it was when you guys were talking about power and glory, I was waiting for someone <laughs> to call power and glory by gorilla monsoon's nickname for them which was herkin jerk for hercules <laughs> and for Rome, he would call them herkin jerk and i was like oh i'm waiting for it i can't wait for it i'm gonna pop so bit so big when kyle says herkin jerk and then you guys didn't say it and i got really sad i was like man i you know but it, it's just fun because there's there's such a um a relatability to you guys doing the show so here's a question this is a question that i was thinking of like as i'm listening to the show so Vince McMahon and Hogan, they decide to do No Holds Barred. And part of the history of wrestling is that wrestling is so under the covers that it's not really, it's not really covered like a real sport would be covered. It is more covered like a soap opera would be covered when it comes to storylines and such. But the second you take the covers away and you go, oh, we're going into the movies it it kind of gives media uh, a, a little bit of a of an alarm to say, hmm, like maybe we have to pay a little bit more attention to these, you know, former outlaw promotion of wrestling. Like, and so, not saying that this is the reason why all these bad things happen, but I do wonder if because of the new, you know, the, the new shine and having to cover Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan in in a light of they're going to Hollywood. I do wonder if media was like, oh, we kind of got to pay attention to these guys. And then you deal with Vince and you see how Vince is. And you're like, oh, shoot, like this is this this, you know, there could be other stuff for us to to talk about here. Did you guys when you're doing your research, did you sense anything about, you know, all of a sudden they're kind of uncloaking themselves by by going into the movies a bit? I'll throw it. So, I mean, to me, it was more the, the Persian Gulf War is what opened Pandora's box, exploiting that. Like, I, I mean, no one's barred. I don't I mean, it helped them draw a big number in the summer of 89 like that. Like as much as Internet people think Zeus is the worst worker in the history of the business, they drew a massive number for 1989, the number of pay-per-view. Homes oh, yeah. The only thing that was interesting is like after that, like the premise we started with of Hogan getting stale, it kind of like. After Zeus, there was really nothing for him at the end of 89. And I think the combination of that and the rise of the Warrior is what made that decision easy to go to the war, at least try him in that spot. But I, no, I, I don't think it was no holds barred. I think it was the Persian Gulf War. And if they had so blatantly exploited that in early 91, maybe they would have still treated Hulk Hogan with kid gloves when he went and lied on Arsenio. Yeah. But the thing is, the WWF had already made themselves look foolish in their response, and Dave was obviously in the thick of this writing for the National at the time, 
Um, WWF had made themselves look foolish in their in like saying, "Oh, you know, we're, this isn't a big deal," and 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 they lie and say they didn't know that a war was going to break out when Liam and I actually went through the timeline, but it was very obvious that a war was going to break out and they built the entire Royal Rumble 1991 upon the idea that like ultimate warrior was going to stop Saddam Hussein on the front lines. So it, it was, it was, and then it just kept getting more and more distasteful. So that was sort of strike one. And then Hogan lying on Arsenio was strike two. And then, you know, you get to the sex scandals in early 92 and that was strike three and you combine that with the fact that creatively the company sort of lost its fastball as well in the early 90s. Hogan had gotten stale. Going back, you know, Warrior wasn't the answer, but going back to Hogan wasn't the answer. And then, you know, eventually you get to late 92, you look around and, you know, you say, Jesus Christ, what's happened here? <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying in the sense of because because. I mean, No Holds Barred was kind of symptomatic of a lot of stuff. And so it's like, yeah, there were things like that that I do believe played a factor in just the media's awareness of what it was. But I guess to, to, to Kyle's point, there's a there's a point early on in the timeline that we did in 1990 where I think it's in Toronto. It says they're heading into WrestleMania where I think it's the, the Toronto Sun or the Star is going to do a story about steroids in wrestling because they'd had a conversation with Billy Graham. And this is prior to Mania 6. And at that point, they have enough of a vested interest in, in WrestleMania coming to town and stuff like that, that the story gets squashed. Yes. And at that point, there is no big... Again, I'm not trying to sound like Joe McDivitt with the cottage industry line. <laughs> but they're, but they're, they're, they're really... At that point, I feel like there is no motive... There is no evidence that a negative story about... Because again, like I hate to say it like this, but like I think a lot of people in the media just thought, who gives a flying fuck about <laughs> reporting on wrestling like it's any kind of a, right. like what you said is that is, is, is true about how it wasn't covered like a sport it was if it was covered at all it was always with that kind of disdainful kind of yeah you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, we got we gotta put we gotta put the results of the house show in i suppose right um, mm -hmm. that kind of a thing and but like and so a story like that i guess that at that point at that specific point even with the, the the presence they had in with, with obviously no holds barred and things like that, and even years before that on MTV and everything, NBC, it's like that wasn't enough. It it, it was when they deliberately messed. It was when they did the distasteful angle with 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 Slaughter with him, win, and it was it was really noticeable how the passing of the deadline coinciding with Slaughter winning the belt just disgusts so many people in the media and like and a lot of people are, yeah again but it's, it's, it's you know, mark madden in the pittsburgh post gazette alex marvez and miami herald you know these are these are names that we know uh, as, as and they were involved and they were they were saying what they were saying and uh, and as as dave said once there was a bit of an appetite for that people realized actually you know what people are responding to this scandal in the wrestling so i think it's everything you know, almost everybody knows what it is yeah but not not everybody's a fan and some people are going to hate it you know a lot of people at that time did hate it but it's it, it is what it is and, and as soon as it's you know as soon as there comes that that little bit of a negative thing and it really was the touch paper was the slaughter angle but they don't do the slaughter angle if they don't just do such a absolutely piss poor job of making 1990 worth anything so i was thinking about this because you guys were talking about how you know, maybe if you look at the metrics a little bit differently, you know, maybe you you do keep the title on Warrior and and you're talking about that Royal Rumble buy rate. But the way that wrestling was promoted back then where, you know, you're booking so many months in advance because house shows mean so much more than they do today. And, you know, I, I mean, I know for a fact that 
you know, Tony Khan specifically doesn't book too many weeks in advance because he's almost sure that something is going to happen. Someone's going to get injured. Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and it, and it kind of, and it stunts what he's trying to do. So he kind of like, he's mostly going like two weeks at a time here, but back then you couldn't do that because if you could, and we remember how, um, you know, in, in the, in the two thousands timeframe, because the pay-per-view buy rates come in so late, you're trying to make a decision on what's working and what's not. And his, there's this historical thing where uh, I think it's um, Austin and Triple H against Kane and The Undertaker. Yes. Like that does like an actual really big buy rate. But the sentiment was that it was kind of a failed program. So they moved on. And Vince is very upset when he does get the buy rate in later. Like if I knew this information, you know, two months ago, prior i i would have been able to adjust and and we could have gone with something that was actually working so there is that part of it that is really hard that you don't have to worry about today but i do think even if vince had the numbers the you know in a timely fashion that dude was gonna do the war stuff like he could not hold himself back from doing the war so it's just in his wheelhouse <laughs> it, it, it like <laughs> just like just the crummy promoter you know mindset uh, you know, you put Don King in the same uh, same place and he's doing the same thing. Right. It's just built in those guys in the way that they're they're using, you know, certain things to try and make money. So I do believe that no matter what Vince does that, even if he has, you know, metrics and, and analytics and information that say, no, 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 you know, we, we should go this way. Well, he's doing it just because just the, the joy of him doing it, <laughs> fooling people and crapping on certain people and criticizing <laughs> things like he can't he couldn't hold himself right yeah well the thing is the rumble 91 buy rate again shows that like apparently people were tolerant of it then I, I think the key is the question becomes and your point is valid they didn't have the buy rate they didn't know it would do so well but when you look back you've got the data the clear right decision would have been have warrior go over take slaughter the hell off tv and send them wherever just get rid of the angle and then you just got to have to figure out what 91 is going to look like with the warrior Hogan dynamic of one a and one B as the baby face. Yeah. And, and also, the thing is though, at the same time, uh, sorry, just to your point, it's like, no, go ahead. Even if they did, even if they did have it, even if they had the uh, data the next day about warrior and slaughter doing a good number, it takes Vince interpreting that as, Oh, that means that sure. that should have been it and not interpreting it as, oh, the slaughter push is working because he did a big buy rate. This yes. direction is working. And that's, that, Which is that's probably the thing how too. they it's interpret like, it. It's, yeah, it is. It totally must have been because they, they went, because think about how hard they went where Hogan's talking about how, you know, even though the war's over, he's talking about how, you know, unconditional surrender of Saddam and, and the WWF title is when this war really is over. And it's like, actually, it's been over for a month, Terry. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there's some real distaste. I mean, you know, Saddam Hussein mailing slaughter the new boots. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's really gross stuff. But um, no, you're right. That is absolutely, and we had talked about that in the show. But that is Vince certainly misinterpreted it as oh, this people love this slaughter thing. It's 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 good heat. It's good heat, pal. Mm. Um, and, and then there's the other part of the equation. I, I know that you know Bruce Pritchard sometimes um, probably speaks with a forked tongue, but. <laughs> The further away you get away from the present, the more inclined I am to believe him. And he's intimated that 
you know, although, you know, as fans, we could interpret the end, we could interpret the end of WrestleMania six as like a passing of the torch. It was really Hogan stepping all over warriors moment, but you could conceivably, <laughs> you know, interpret it as a passing torch. He said, Bruce, this is, there was never any notion that no warriors, the guy now and Hogan's second, the idea was always to go back to Hogan because, um, it, it, it was he he left for the birth of his kid, right? That's what they did the earthquake angle because he yeah. wanted he, he wanted uh, that, that's when Nick was being born, so uh, he he wanted to take time off, similar to '88 when he took time off to film No Holds Barred, mm-hmm. and like so it was like, well, we just need another champion, and Warrior was not as good as Savage was in '88, and was never and but just like savage the goal was never to replace hogan it was just to kind of fill in the blanks while hulk was gone yeah and what a bud dull six months of filling in the blanks it is and that's it's like the rude feud which we again we banged on about this on the podcast to death so i'm not gonna go over it again but it's just like when that's all they had it was such that for that six months after wrestlemania is such filler like it's just it's and 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 what happens afterwards when they actually get their act together and it's like okay we're gonna put warrior with savage and it starts drawing well imagine that (laughs) yeah absolutely the uh so okay so let let's get the uh the podcast name out because i've had people you know you people are oh i got it you know i'm on a long drive you guys got any podcast recommendations and i've told a couple of people i'm like well if you want to listen to you know 90s wwe uh here's the podcast for you and and you, you'll have a lot i hope it's a long drive so where where, sure. where can people actually find your show yep so squared circle gazette radio is the show it's on itunes it's on podbean it's on spotify uh it's there's there's lot, a ton of 177 episodes going back you know a, a long time but like these deep dives really start in 20 2020 when obviously the pandemic happened and uh, they got yeah. We, we, when we first started it, we I think we thought we were going to do it like in like a ninety-minute, two-hour chunks, and we, we'll, we'll cover off these periods of time without much problem. And of course, as time has gone by, and as you commented last time off air, Garrett, when we last spoke, they exploded in size, they exploded in notes, <laughs> they exploded in in terms of how much there is to cover because it's it's such a fascinating t- time period, and it's one of those things that pretty much this appeals to me and i think it appeals to kyle don't want to speak for him the more layered a situation and a scenario is where the more you look into it and the more you chip away the more you learn from it and the more you understand the way that people think and the reasons things happened that is you learn things and you take away things that maybe even though we know this period and we've all watched it before we've all read about it before there is still a lot to take away in terms of people's mentalities things that did work and didn't work and just realities that you may not have expected yeah. And one thing that I really like that I just want to pick up on what Liam said that is more refreshing. I enjoy talking about more in this time period, the early nineties, as opposed to like today is that if you made a bad creative decision, it had very real consequences on business. Whereas now, like you can make a bet and it's like, eh, it doesn't really matter that much, you know, because the TV money comes in and you're doing well, but like, we're looking at these, you know, these bad decisions Vince made in the early 90s, you know, not only is he being hit behind the scenes with all the scandals, he's not making the right calls on screen. And those wrong calls are having a very real effect on his business, um, which is a big difference, obviously, from today. So um, it's really interesting to not just like, first, we're about to, we're at the point now, we've made it all the way halfway through 93. Up next, Liam and I will 
tackle the Lex Luger that, that's not out yet. We have not recorded this yet at the time that we're doing the show, but we're going to tackle the Lex Luger baby face turn. Now everyone knows that didn't work. So I would not like, if, if you're like, oh, obviously there's no reason to tune in for that, but we're going to under, we're going to explore why didn't it work. And there's a notion, Oh, well, if they would have just put the title on him at SummerSlam, it would have been great for Lex. Well, there's actually a lot of evidence, and we'll talk about this on the podcast, that eh, there wasn't a lot of appetite for Lex Luger as a babyface to begin with. Yeah, and yeah. And, and, and in looking at this ahead of time too, again, but we've already started, I've already watched most of the Tesla from the period of time that we're going to cover. But like, there are very, it's very, it's quite clear when you look with modern eyes, like there are things missing in what they're doing with Lex in the build-up, where it's like, yeah. It's again, but that's, that's, that's a whole thing. That's a whole two there, hours. There, there's, yeah, there's no edge to him. And he himself is seemingly uh, miserable being a baby face. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. He did like that. There's all these stories of the like, I love getting these road reports from the Lex Express, like some mascot. Like I forgot what, like the Minnesota Timberwolves mascot, like puts his like hands on Luger's shoulders and luger turns around like he's gonna hit him and stuff like that it's it's, it's really funny stuff but, oh yeah. yeah yeah it's easy to say now because we know Deluxe how the story cell. unfolds love the lex cell yeah yeah <laughs> it's easy to say now because we it, it's a 30 year old story we know how it unfolds and everything but it, back then like hard right turns like what they did with luger like an emergency baby face turn it was so foreign so, like, at the time, it felt very, like, exciting, almost. I think, like, when I was a kid, I was like, whoa, my God, this was out of nowhere. Yeah. This is crazy. This has momentum. And now, because we're so used to just these desperate angles, that you're like, yeah, you, this has all the parts of every desperate angle that has not worked in the 30 years since. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's, that's, that's a big part of the reason why this series has been so much fun is because the business at WWE in particular, especially WWE, now – is so much different to the WWE of then in terms of the operating uh, methods. And it's like, obviously, Kyle mentioned the TV money, huge undoubted factor. The audience is so different in terms of the way that they interpret the product, the type of audience that they are, and the fact that it really does operate. It doesn't operate the way it does now, where it's like even, I mean, I'm not sure at what point this changed, but it came to a point where their audience is fairly fixed in place they're very forgiving. They are more loyal to the product than they've ever been. They are so diehard after sitting through the last 23 years of, of, of very peak and valley type stuff. And I just think that back then, it's like this is when it still feels like it operates like a territory in mm-hmm. some regards. In terms of, again, just that desperation. Lex is a great example. We need to pick up the houses. We need a new top guy. Where are we going to go? And you see them doing things that you have seen WCW and other companies do. Um, that you know is is not necessarily typical of what WWF's done before, and that's this is why this period even and again that's part of the big motivation for me of continuing beyond you know the Hogan the initial Hogan fall and scandal and then he goes at WrestleMania eight is the fact that like okay now how did how does Vince rebuild how does he recover and as it turns out in this summer night two he was terrible and he couldn't <laughs> rebuild anything and then in the spring he finally decides that you know okay so Warriors falling apart let's yeah that's that's going to end. So let's try and rebuild again. And we go with Brett. And then that falls apart because he decides he wants to go back to three years earlier. <laughs> it's like, oh man. But it's, it's, but again, it's watching the reactionary Vince at a time when reactionary Vince matters 
it's really interesting when you contrast it to the modern day where reactionary Vince doesn't really make a difference that much. I remember when we talked about, you know, when Carl mentions Cody Rhodes, I remember the last time we did a podcast together, we hypothesized, are we sure Cody's going to win? This is before WrestleMania. Are yeah. we sure Cody's going to win? And are we sure that it will even matter if he doesn't? We actually asked that question because now it's like, you know, we, we can see the way it is now. It almost it, worked it, better that he didn't because the fan base is so endeared with him. They love this dude. I was just at Raw in San Jose and, he, you know, he, he, he doesn't do like he doesn't do anything particularly special with his promos <laughs> and he doesn't have to. So I get it. Uh, and the fans are just embracing of him. And so, uh, yeah, he, I mean, the, the entire product right now is really on cruise control until uh, probably Survivor Series and then they'll kick back up. But yeah, like this, this, this crowd, like you said, they're, they're so happy with what they get to see and what they get to participate in. And they can't wait for Dom to come out so they could boo him without even knowing what he's going to say. Like, it, it, they're they are a happy fan base, especially live right now. So okay, so um, before we get, because I want to talk about ninety one. Ninety one was the year in which I learned that there was this other side of wrestling behind the scenes. Reading Meltzer in the National, I had found this uh, cable radio news network show where <laughs> I, I'm sure the guy was just reading the Observer. Uh, for the most part, and spoiling everything. But I was so dialed in because of, of, of Flair leaving. Like, I knew that the Flair thing was happening, like, months before he showed up on WWE TV. So to see all of those things happen, like, that really, that year is the most pivotal year in my wrestling fandom because it kind of created the thing and why I'm interested in doing the stuff that I do today. But before that, I'm going to go back uh, uh, just a, a little bit. The 1989 wrestling observers book that just came out oh yes now that dave is actually putting full observers in a book would that make you guys actually go a little bit backwards if if he starts putting out some of these old ones because like i mean i have 89 and 90 and i may even have 88 just in some like random google doc or, or some pdf right but if he like starts putting these things out there like that is that an avenue for you guys to kind of go backwards instead of going through the 90s all right so here's the thing um i would love to go through that period like from when vince took over like 84 through 89 but i would love to do it for the purpose of explaining to people why it's so awesome and everyone should think it's awesome because <laughs> I, I think like it's funny when, when you become like when you get on the internet right like in the late 90s and wrestling was changing and Garrett, we're a little closer in age than than you know, like us and Liam. Yeah. But so so we get we, we but I think all three of us understand this. It was very cool, I guess, to hate eighties WWF in the late nineties, right? It, it was very cool, just to, like hate late eighties everything. Like hair metal fell out of style, and like you just like mocked the nineteen eighties. But when the Attitude Era hit its peak and then started to decline. I went back and I would watch. I was like, God, this is such a confident promotion. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and because you could book long term, you don't see these like gaping booking holes. I would love to go back and, and use that period as a reason to explain to people why. Yeah, you know what? The wrestling may not have been very good, but this is a very successful promotion that you should appreciate. I think 
though, that all of the narratives are pretty well established in that period. I don't. And one thing I've noticed um, is I don't know how much like appetite people have for the eighties. It seems anymore. Like I love, like I could talk about it all day. You know, um, the 89 yearbook is great, but like, I, I think like in general, we're at a point where like the people who enjoyed that era, like aren't hyper consuming so much anymore. I, I think, and I'll make Liam's eyes jump out of his head right here. The, <laughs> the period that people are begging to have reanalyzed is like the last 20 years of WWE. Because, and, and the reason- Better no you one, than me, my friend. See, and, and the, 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 <laughs> the reason no one wants to do it is because there's so much to consume, right? Yes, yes. And you got to watch so much television. And, and it, it felt like you were so fatigued at the time. But back to our initial point of, okay, you live through it. There's these established narratives. Now you go back and were those narratives, with the benefit of hindsight, were those narratives fact or fiction? And like people I don't feel have like, again, I guess it's just fatigue. Like the 80s and 90s, people, I think there people have come to their own conclusions and they're not coming off them. But I think there's a lot of sort of reanalysis could, that could be done about 2000s WWE if someone's up to it. I'm not quite frankly sure I'm the man for it or <laughs> want to do it. But um, I mean, I mean, that's the period I would love for someone to go back and deep dive and challenge what we thought at the time. Is it still true? Was it bullshit? Whatever. You know why I don't feel like I would want to do that is because I started reading the observer in 99. So I read everything through the two thousands. And so I sort of remember like the feeling of of what was happening and it's kind of depressing like if you off of the high of like 97 98 99 is kind of bad but they're still so hot mm -hmm. and 2000 is actually pretty darn good and then mm -hmm. 2001 it's like man that's the year like if you want to cover a year 2001 <laughs> is probably the year but for me i i want to go back and reconnect with my childhood with some of the stuff mm -hmm. that I didn't know with these old observers. And that's what was, what was really cool about going through 89 because uh, so when Terry Funk passed away, uh, I decided, you know, and, and we, we had a short time frame. I was like, okay, I want to go back through Funk's WCW period just to kind of get back into that mood. And so we can talk about him and we can talk about the I quit match and all that stuff. And so for, for like two days straight, I was just staying up late, reading through the observers uh, just to make sure that I knew exactly what was going on with Terry and with Rick and then trying to at least watch most of the matches. And like the joy that I got out of doing that just for that, like those two days, I was like, man, that was so much fun. I don't think I'd have the same joy going through like March to <laughs> December of the 2005 wrestling observers, you know, cause it's just like, it's just different. And I lived it, but I didn't live through the inside wrestling of 1989. So that's why I find it attractive, but you're probably right because there is an avenue for the current fan base to go back those 20 years and to go through all of that stuff again. Whereas we're talking about going 40 years, right? We're talking about yeah. like 35, 40 years, which is a, which is a giant difference. Like, I can't even imagine, you know, a current baseball writer going like, I'm going to go back to 1987 
and just kind of rewrite about that year, there's probably not a giant audience for for that kind of thing. But if you go back 15 years or you go back to the home, the you know the the live ball era, maybe there is because people will connect that with their childhood. But I, I totally get w- what you're saying for sure. Yeah, those, 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 this reminds me of a conversation. The thing is, there is a, there is a whole generation of people now who and and, and somebody who is in wrestling. Who I'm, who's going to remain nameless because I don't want to make them embarrassed, telling me that their fundamental introduction to pro wrestling was the invasion angle. At which point <laughs> I was just absolutely fucking more. But it made a lot of sense when it, when I considered what they thought about things at the time, where it's like, you've got some bad takes and that explains a lot. And then there's like, you know, it's like there's, you know somebody else who, uh, you know, Ryan Smile, who, who has passed away. Uh, I remember him having a conversation with him about how it was like early 2000s or early to mid 2000s ring of honor that was like his introduction to wrestling which just made me feel so fucking old and i at that point i wasn't i'm not even sure that i was 30 at the time i can't remember but it was it was absurd and it, but anyway it's just like there's a whole generation of people like that now but i guess that and i think that's why it's interesting that's why i like doing this show because like it's almost like in a way they're the people that the shows that we're doing right now those are the people we're talking to when yeah. we are explaining this stuff where it's like they may have they may have gone back and have a cursory idea of what went on um and then there's gonna be a lot of people who just lived through it and just want to go through it with us but uh but yeah it's 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 interesting because there's there's so many different perspectives on and on bad periods of time and the thing is like it depends what kind of period Kyle's talking about when he talks about the 2000s. It's like, man, I do not want to watch the invasion again at all. I don't. Well, it it might be great to kind of cover it, knowing, you know, Vince McMahon going out of his mind. I mean, it might be it might be fun to go back to that time frame and go, oh, like Vince, the way that he was booking then kind of created the style that he, you know, just became comfortable with. It's not. You know, we always talk about I'm so happy for AEW being there because my whole hypothesis was that if AEW is successful, then maybe Vince McMahon gets his fastball back. Like that was my whole hypothesis for AEW. And, you know, I, I think somewhat it, it happened. Now, a lot of a lot of different things, you know, Nick Khan kind of being the guy and and, you know, them lucking, not lucking, but them getting these giant TV deals that, you know, that that also happened. But uh, the booking did improve because of the competition and just like Vince has it all and he basically screws it all. Up. Like, that's kind of the thing, right? Because you guys are talking about 93. WCW was not really competitive in 93. WCW was atrocious in 1993. It was one of the worst <laughs> years by any promotion that ever stayed in business, I would so, say. So it's not like there's any pressure for Vince to have to recreate Hulk Hogan in 1993. It's just sort of like this. Well, his own business was failing. I mean, right. it really had nothing to do with the car. It was just that his own bit, like the, the entire, it wasn't like, you know, okay, what's everyone else doing? It was the, like wrestling was like, in the toilet in 1993. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I was still watching and, and enjoying it, but like you sit back and you look at some of the numbers. It's like, woo, I mean, look at where raw was running. It's like yeah. running in like, g- like gyms in the Northeast. <laughs> like you can yeah. see the ceiling fans, yeah. you know, in, in these buildings, you know, Lex Luger sweating. Like he was doing that RF video, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> Pekip- uh, Pekip- lots of Poughkeepsie, New York shows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that's it. It's like it matters a great deal because 
well, I, I started getting the Observer in 2002, and I used to love that thing that Dave would do like every year, where like he would like have the list of like how much money the WF had or how much profit they'd made each year. Yeah. And so like going there, it's like, oh, this is cool. Let's see how much money they made in these years that I thought were really successful. And it's like, they made three million. That's it. Yeah. And now it's like Vincent, if Vincent Mann made a mistake that cost him three million dollars, oh, I, 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 he wouldn't even. He, who cares like yeah. who cares the, the only bad thing about those lists is there started to be so many asterisks there's like <laughs> there's 10, yeah. 10 asterisks in 2013 and i'm like trying to read what does this even mean it's like oh xfl <laughs> oh the wwe new york restaurant oh they bought this hotel that they never like it's so you have to talk about the, the revenue and the profit it, and stuff it was actually dave that sort of made me question my interest in doing the late 80s with Liam <laughs> because he was talking about the uh I want to say it was Dark Side of the Ring and he's like yeah the the, the ones from like the mid 80s period just always do bad ratings yeah and no, I was like well right. all right well I was like well fuck maybe there's just not a lot there's not a lot of after it made me think twice that there isn't a lot of like yeah. desire for that now which is why you know they always just hype on that late '90s period. So, so the interesting thing to me, and I, I want to get to '91 because I told you guys we wouldn't be doing a, a, a Harley Race Broadway here. Um, <laughs> uh, so the interesting thing to me is, and some of this is because I have a, a, a I have a little bit of the uh, F4W engine, is that there are people who watch wrestling today who don't even understand that there was a business prior to when they started watching right and so the education that you can actually do to those folks um and give them more information if they're willing to learn obviously there is an avenue for that there is an avenue to say hey the current product that you're watching or that you love or that you started watching 10 years ago like there was a whole other business before then and the actual business part of it and then to where we are now is actually pretty fascinating like uh, uh, a comparable podcast to what you guys do is one of my favorite podcasts, but it is another one of those deep dives. You got to be like ready for three hours is a show called acquired. And these guys go deep diving into companies and they tell the origin stories of companies and like the origin story of say Nintendo is fascinating. Like Nintendo is created off of like a Yakuza gambling card deck. That's like that's where the start from Nintendo comes from. Sounds like Pride and, Fighting Champions. <laughs> and so, like, you know, if you're a Nintendo fan and you're like, oh, I love these video games, I love my Switch, like, there's an entire company prior to what you know of as the Switch. And someone like me, I go, oh, yeah, I go back to the NES. Like, I can still remember the, the code to fight Mike Tyson without having to go oh. through everybody. And then there's a <laughs> there, then there's an even a bigger origin before that. So that was fascinating to me. I was like, man, I, I want to learn about this stuff that I didn't even realize. So I think there is something there. Now, for you guys, though, you also have to enjoy what you're doing at the same time. So if you can enjoy it and cover it the way that you like that's kind of the thing that's more important than really anything else is you guys keeping on and and still having fun with it okay let me get to 91 so there's an angle that happens in 91 well there's there's like a bunch of angles that happen in 91 mm -hmm. obviously the flair thing happens and that's giant you guys go go through the whole thing about how they introduce flair and how soon he's just another guy and you know is pairing him with bobby the right thing all that you guys go through the whole thing there is an angle that i rewatched that 
I was like, this is better than any angle that is on television today. Why did this thing not draw? And it is the Jake Roberts, yes. Randy Savage <laughs> yeah. snake bite. And then like, I'm asking, cause I was asking Meltzer. I was like, okay, why did this thing not work? And they kind of pivot from it. And it's not like this big deal. I know Savage is renegotiating his contract at this point. He's also dropped a ton of weight cause he's, you know, he had been off and you know, all, all that stuff. So the, Angle's fantastic. Jake's stuff at Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas, the promo he's cutting is like that infuriated me more than anything that I'm watching (laughs) on television today. And I knew exactly what he was going to say. The Elizabeth thing, like smacking her in the, in the face with the, with the working slap, like all of those things. And then as it turns out, like nothing really comes out of it and it, it doesn't really even work it they, they don't take advantage of it and all of those things when you guys rewatch that stuff i'm sure you had sort of the same conclusion as me how, how great it was but why do you think that that didn't really enhance the business in any way it seems like it was like an easy layup right um so yes we had the exact same reaction i <laughs> i think the at the, this tuesday in texas from the inner the pre-match interviews to the post-match interviews is as good a 30 minutes of WWF television as you'll get in that era. And probably ever. I mean, it's phenomenal. Like it's, we actually had a discussion, Liam, I believe that it's one of those things that challenges the notion of star ratings. Right. And that's the way we always try to do relate it to the modern times, Garrett. And, you know, star ratings, Dave, star ratings are always a big topic of discussion. And it's like the way that that whole thing is done. It's not like something you would traditionally give five stars to, but like you, there's very few things in the history of wrestling I enjoy more than that 30-minute stretch. Yep. It is just a masterclass from uh, the two guys involved. And, yeah, Liam and I, at the end, were like, yeah, and then these guys do absolutely no business on the house show. We're like, how did this do no business on the house show? We're like, that is one of the greatest angles of all time. And it really isn't apparent at the time when we're doing it. But I think Liam would concur here as we've gone on t-shirt era randy savage there was something there that just didn't work i think in one of the podcasts i called him mr elizabeth <laughs> and, and 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 i think instead of he, mr madness yes yeah, people <laughs> people love the savage elizabeth deal as a package but i think when like it was like savage as this husband who kept getting like you know, beaten up in front of his wife. I think people didn't dig it so much, not to use a terrible hmm. pun. <laughs> but, like, and, you know, something else, too. It might have been too hardcore for that WWF audience, the angle. Like, they, they weren't used to hardcore angles. The snake bite, actually. Yeah, the snake hmm. bite, or, like, Jake slapping Liz. Slapping Elizabeth. I, um, I was, I was, I, I guess I had put that out of my mind, and when I saw it, I was like, wait, as he's setting it up, I'm like, wait, does he actually slap her? I don't actually remember. And then, you know, he, he makes sure that he raises his foot and stomps his foot very yeah. hard so that the people who know know that he's not really hitting her. Yeah. But, man, I was I was like, oh, my God. Unbelievable. He's, yeah, he's I mean, so good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would, I mean, you obviously, I mean, you could and should do that. But, like, back, I mean, it was starting Gorilla Monsoon sells. I mean, it, it really was. You know, let's relate this to the modern product now. And I think people aren't going to like this take, but it needs to be given. (laughs) 
especially, I, I think if there's one lesson we can learn from the modern WWE, it's that stars sell more than angles now. Like, you could have the best angle in the world, but if the product overall isn't hot and people don't think the two pe- the parties involved aren't stars, it's going to be disappointing. And I think that's probably largely what it was. I mean, you could talk about Savage was off the gas. He was wearing a T-shirt. He was a cucked husband or whatever. But, like, I, I think at the end of the day, it was a colder product. It was a white-hot angle, but... I don't know. I think people have just seen they. I think the casual quote unquote audience of 1991 WF saw two guys that had been around forever. Maybe it was kind of the angle reeked of desperation to them. And you had a promotion riddled in scandal already at that point, and nothing was really drawing. Yeah. You know, I mean, Hogan yeah. and Flair was, was doing disappointing business elsewhere at that time. Yeah. So I was going to say it's two things. It's, it's to me, it's that. The adage that's been said forever, and it's true, when you're hot, you can almost do no wrong. When you're cold, you can almost do no right. I think that absolutely starts applying. At this point, at the end of 91, we have been talking since the end of 89 about disappointing numbers. And even Money Trouble was heading into 91 as I, near that point when they do this, the second pay-per-view. The other thing is the fact that I honestly think that Savage, and this did get brought up on the podcast as well, when he retired... I felt like he lost a luster. It made him feel old that he had retired from wrestling and then came back. And I think that that hurt the perception of him because he never he did. You know, 92 was a disaster for Savage. He ends up getting put on commentary at the end of the year and he's really never in a position of importance again. And I think that, like, that, I think that part of the reason was that with retirement angle with Warrior, I think that not only was it a cold promotion, I think the character was cold, and I think people stopped looking at him the same way they did in the years previous when he drew money. And 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 it's perception business. And once that perception's changed, it's pretty hard to get it back. He didn't really get it back until the end of. I don't think he really really truly got it back until he was what, working with Flair in WCW. Yeah, yeah. ninety five. Ninety five. Because well, yeah, which which played off which played off the angle when Liz left him, yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, yeah. funnily enough, yeah, no, it, it's amazing that WCW basically ran back to angles that didn't work a couple made years work. earlier. WF, and they made it work. And boy, I mean that that's a whole different podcast. But like, I think it's WCW was at a starting point that was so low that anything they did that was better would be viewed as they're making strides. <laughs> so, and also we talked about this. You know, Bischoff, who we neither of us have any love for, uh, Liam and I, that is. I don't want to get you in any trouble. <laughs> but, um, um, he Charming man, that Eric yeah. Bischoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, he understood that Hogan versus Flair was a pay-per-view attraction, not a house, not a house show program. It's something that should be done once and you don't go and you just don't keep going. Now, and to that point, when he tried it the second time on pay-per-view, it did a disappointing number. Yeah, at Halloween Havoc. But I think when time. he realized the Hogan Flair stuff had kind of lost its fervor, then he was willing to put it on Nitro. Like the, there's Ho- there's a few Hogan Flair matches on Nitro in '96, but like you're saying, the the original program in in '94, yeah, uh, what was pay per view specific for it? Yeah. But you know, you you said something that you said you thought my people were were not going to be happy with. I think you're right on, and I think people do understand it, which is the fact that it's really stars over angles and that is now you're not watching as much uh, of the current product, but Adam Cole and MJF 
Like if you take those two guys and sort of their charisma and their, their fanaticism from that fan base and you just take it for the content, it sucks. But when you put, <laughs> when you put, tell us how you really feel MJF <laughs> and Cole together and you see the reactions that the fans and they just love them. They love to wear the t-shirts, the bro chachos t-shirts and everything. It is really about together. Those two guys are, um, you know, are, are and their stardom put them together. It, it really comes across to that fan base as these guys are the big deal. But the actual content of what they're doing is very silly and it's very juvenile. Um, and so I think you're, I think you're right. I think that's kind of what wrestling is, right? Like, let's look at Roman Reigns, and we've had the, you know, this Roman Reigns discussion for years and years and years. You know, how what is different about Roman Reigns this time? Then, you know, in 2015, well, one, it's presentation uh, and two, he's a heel, but they just make him seem important instead of having him wrestle like an old fashioned baby face who has to lose in order to win. And that's just not how it works today, because people want to see this bigger than life guy, even though he's a heel. And they don't even really want to see him lose, even though he's a heel. So. It's just like he, his character is so much bigger than it's ever been. And he's probably, uh, you know, output wise, he's doing less than ever. Like this dude is never on TV and, and he's see, bigger than life. Yeah. And that's my point. And it, it, it really was more about the modern WWE than it was about AEW. Because the WWE has done a very good job over the last 15 or so months at making everyone who regularly is on their television seem like very important stars. They don't actually have to do that much on the weekly television. They don't have to do that much over the course of a month because people, uh, their, their fan base understands or just is believes that when Roman Reigns comes out, this is important. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not important, you can pick it apart to death and say, oh, well, this is the same old shit they did last week or last <laughs> month. It doesn't matter. If the yeah. people perceive it as important, that is what matters. It doesn't matter if it's actually important or not. And the, Liam said it. When you're hot, you're hot. When you're cold, you're cold. And that's the thing with WWE. They don't really have to do a lot. They don't, they, right now, the position they're in, they don't have to do desperation angles. People, you know, I see on Twitter, like, oh, should they bring in CM Punk? Why would they bring in CM Punk? Oh, I think they're bringing him in. But why? <laughs> they might, but why? But, but they don't have, but here's the thing. They don't have to. If they do, they're doing it from a position of strength, right? Because they, they certainly, like, there's no reason right now, unless if you just, they're like, oh, my God. Like, unless if the fans are like, you know, chanting same old shit or something like that in a Roman <laughs> Reigns match, which I think we're like probably like a year away from if if we're even, if not longer. If yeah, yeah. Th there's just no reason to, to bring people in because people still believe in Cody Rhodes, you know, getting another shot maybe at WrestleMania. And that's, you know, it's October. WrestleMania is in April. So why? You don't have to do these desperate angles. By the way, I think, covering. I think... The leverage, Sam Punk's leverage, is all based on The Rock. If The Rock decides to come in, you know who's going to need a dance partner is Cody Rhodes because Rock and Roman is going to be the match, and Cody's going to be out there going like, uh, hey, guys, what about me? 
Chuck him with Seth. Might, CM Punk fine. might be the guy. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I mean, you think that, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, just run Cody and Seth back, and the people would probably be, oh, man, that match. <laughs> no, you're right. What? You're right. I mean, no, you're you're 100 percent right. But the thing the other... is, I, well, I, although you do need to sell two nights of WrestleMania, though. Yes, is the thing. Yes, so you do need yes. kind of a second big match. So yes, yes. But the to thing talk, that you're not thing... accounting for is at every opportunity they're going to want to stick it to AEW, and AEW got pushed to their night. Uh, so I, this will be posted by the time. Uh, this weekend, so um, we're recording this on, on a Wednesday, but post dynamite, po- uh, so it'll air post dynamite, but we're right, recording before, right? Yeah, but AEW because of the baseball playoffs is running head to head against NXT next week, and th- it's like all hands on deck for AEW and for NXT. Like Cody Rhodes is going to be on that show, which I told Dave on Friday's Wrestling Observer, I said they should put Cody on it because. Who who is more WWE? Who is more AEW in WWE than Cody Rhodes? Like, and so they're putting Cody Rhodes. They're putting John Cena on this show just for this one head-to-head battle over one Boy. rating, and both companies so desperately want to win this night. They WWE, I think, more than anything else, is going to want to stick it to Tony Khan and say, "Look, we can bring in CM Punk. He's not going to create this chaos, and if he does." we have the leverage he's out and you, you know, you made it so that he had to do, you know, so many different things wrong before you fired him. So, and you know, poor Jack Perry is, is the, the one who's, who's really in limbo here. He screwed up all the CM Punk plans because CM Punk couldn't control himself and he's still suspended. I feel so bad for that kid. Look, here's, here's the thing. Hey, I don't feel bad for that kid, Carter. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't make me bust out my Luke Perry shirt right now. <laughs> The whole the, there's got to be there's something to be said for how fragile the egos of people who are winning by some <laughs> distance have to get this one minor win, which will mean nothing other than they think it's a perception thing, which it obviously isn't because the next week Dynamite will be back on Wednesday. They'll yeah, do the same rating they always do. NXT will do the same rating they always do when the stars piss off, and it won't matter at all other than they get to say something, which is like, what's that worth? Anyway, go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was going to say, but the thing is with WWE, because they're in a position of power, they're not going to do anything. Like, major, like, Cody, what's Cody going to do? It's not like he's, they're going to, like, see, earlier we were talking about that 2001 to 2004 period. They would hot shot, and they would do so many dumb things that six months later you'd look back and say, why did they do that dumb thing? They're not going to do, like, they're putting Cody on, but it's not like this. Like, yes, they're doing it because they want to win the night, but he's not going to do some desperate angle that you're going to look back at in six months and say, oh, they they were just way too, like, you know, desperate to have him on that show. He's going to probably, like, announce there's going to be another Dusty Rhodes Memorial Tournament and leave. <laughs> like, that's probably yeah. what's going to happen, you right? Could, you could have him <laughs> wrestle um, because they just put uh, DIY back together, so you could... And and Cody came out at the end of Raw to save those guys. So you could do like a Cody and DIY, DIY six man tag or something, and because those guys have you know NXT roots them, yeah. themselves. But, hey. but I get your point. That, but the other thing, and we'll wrap up because uh, we just hit the, the the Harley Race Broadway time. <laughs> I, I, I'm a liar. Um, the, the, here's the other thing though, and this is you know we have to think forward a little bit, which is. 
the uh oh is that my is that my phone not mine okay well weather well, looks okay out here i'm sure it's one <laughs> yeah. of those uh one of those alerts of you know someone got hurt that i need to look out for or something oh, um yeah. well i just got one too. you just got one too what does it say national weather service oh this is a test of the, of the national wireless emergency system <laughs> what the hell is this you no action I, is no action is required by the public. Don't worry, everybody. You, you and I are not close to each other, so the fact that we would both get this notification. Yeah. Well, really, no, we're screwed saying. if I get one. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say maybe you have a freaking red coats or So, okay, you know what could happen based off of this head-to-head. So, SmackDown is going back to the USA Network because of the the TV rights deal. And I told Dave, I said, why would USA want to get involved in this wrestling war and ruin their ratings? Because he was like, they could go head to head against AEW if they really wanted to, you know, hurt AEW. And I was like, why would USA oh. sign up for that? They're paying so much money for this show. They should want to get the highest ratings ever. He's like, well, you want to be a good partner, X, Y, and Z. So my hope is that this test that they're doing on this title Tuesday of both of these shows head to head. I hope it doesn't mean that WWE's like, Oh, that just means we can put SmackDown on Wednesday nights against dynamite and screw with their schedule. That's my hope that that doesn't happen. But at the same time, AEW could just try and find a new night. So this may be just this cat and mouse game, but that is, that is the only sort of implication of what this title Tuesday thing can, can you be. know, what would be fucking hilarious is because I've actually anticipated for a while that this will, this, if raw moves that raw will end up, they may move raw. I can see them doing that, which would be hilarious. Cause if I was telling you, I'd just move it to Mondays because you got the, the Monday night wrestling. <laughs> exactly. audience. Exactly. It's free. Why not? Yeah. That's why they shouldn't move raw. Exactly. Why they shouldn't just to tie up the previous point and, and, and what will hopefully be a nice little package here so that we can sign off. But you mentioned before, Garrett, about when you talk about MJF and Adam Cole and yeah. the difference in terms of like how it's garbage, you know, if, if you think it sucks, but the guys are making it work. Yeah. And you can say a lot of the same thing for stuff that's going to be sometimes. You mentioned 99 earlier on being a year that does well, that absolutely blows. And you're like, it blows content wise, but obviously everything works great yeah. because everything's hot. And it's yeah, like, it starts, that, sums yeah. it up, that sums it up right there. It's like, the, you know, you thought you know, Rock and Foley was entertaining. There was some stuff on that show that time that was certainly not entertaining. And there was, you, know, you got The Rock doing jobs to Al Snow and the Boss Man in <laughs> December that year. And it's like, they got away with it. It didn't matter because everything the fact that it is the rock became the, the thing and, and it's the same thing that they, they've channeled in some ways they've channeled that with with a modern product and it's one thing that you kind of hope that uh you know i felt like aw kind of had that a little bit with punk that they kind of were that was kind of the goal but they never they never really got there and now we'll see yeah. if they can do it there with mgf yeah. or copeland but uh yeah. no it's an interesting deal anyway so um maybe when you guys get to 1999 here it's gonna take a while you're only in 93 if you do well, get he's there he's already done it he, the, he, the him and so there is the monday night wars were already covered oh I, I, I'm oh gonna, yeah so not I'm gonna, with kyle there yeah yeah not with me but i'm gonna I, our goal is to go up through 94 94 and then, and then the square and then square Gart circle gazette will have the 90s covered and then i don't know liam and i will We'll talk, and we'll probably end up doing WCW from 1990. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do something. So, yeah, who knows? Well, I was going to say, you know, the the sort of the tagline or, or the the whole 
uh, title of 99 could be the one year Vince Russo couldn't screw up, right? Like, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. a deal. Well, he did. Well, he, he, did WCW, yeah, he did. Yeah, then he took over WCW and put them right, just right down the throat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guys, thanks. <laughs> thanks for thanks I got Sorry, Gary, I know you want to close, but I just cannot end without saying that that two months from October to December might be the two worst months of wrestling programming I've ever <laughs> oh, seen in my horrible. life. Uh, rewatching horrible. it, rewatching it, it's just absolutely. Yeah. Vince Russo being the freaking bad guy from Inspector Gadget or whatever the hell he was trying to do. That was hideous. Hooven to Guerrero giving the Heimlich maneuver to like Lilani Kai or something like that. What the fuck is going on here? This is yeah. Oh my God. All right, guys. Thanks. This is this is so much fun. I love the show. Uh I, I need to, you know, I have some other podcasts, but I because I know when I start 92. I'm going to have to dig my feet in and, and I can't listen to anything else. So I'm kind of waiting for the right time to start 92. I may, I may have to create a road trip to uh, you know, <laughs> may, maybe drive. 92 my- is daunting. How many hours was 92? Leo. Oh man, I, I counted it at one point. And I think it racked about thirteen, maybe in total. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. that's the drive from uh, from me to my parents in in Tucson, Arizona. I might just have to go <laughs> randomly visit them so I could listen to the podcast. But uh, check it out, Squared Circle Gazette Radio. All the links will be in uh, in the show notes and everything. Thanks Ky- for Kyle for Liam. I'm Double G. See you when we see you. Peace out. Thank you so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.